This episode of Lex Out Loud is brought to you by my patrons, readers, and listeners. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, visit LexStarWalker.com support. You're listening to episode 54 of Lex Out Loud, writing science fiction. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. This show is a chronicle of my journey as a science fiction novelist. Hello and welcome back to the show, everyone. So glad that you could join me today. So I've, I've said on here a few times before that I consider myself a writer of commercial fiction, commercial science fiction, or at least that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, in the search for something to talk about with you today, I thought I would talk about that a bit, that term commercial, because it's kind of a loaded term. Uh, when it comes to fi- fiction. And sometimes I get the feeling that some writers, at least, think that the word commercial is a bad word. You see this with other art forms, too, whether you're talking paintings or music. You know, this idea that if you're making money with your art, you know, somehow you've sold out, <laughs> right? If if you're making good money, if you're successful, you know, whether you're a writer or a musician or a painter or whatever, um, that you sold out, you know, that, that, you know, you can't be true to your art and make a good living at the same time. Like, like this is an idea that's out there. And, and I think maybe that's where some of this comes from. So some people at least have this attitude like art, you know, whether you're talking writing, music, paintings, whatever, it is something that only the academic elite can understand and appreciate. You know, it's not for the quote common people. Um, I don't know. Someone who thinks that way, I don't think really gets art or its history or how it came to be or the role that it plays in our cultures. Because the more you understand those things, the more you realize that 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 very much is not the case. Art is not for the elite. It is not just for super smart or super educated um, or super rich people. So a lot of writers out there, when they talk about commercial fiction, they'll, they'll say it with a sneer, like it's an insult, but it's not. I think some writers out there, if you told them that you thought their manuscript had potential as commercial fiction, they'd be insulted by that. They'd be like, no, no, I don't write commercial fiction. Um, I'm, I'm better than that. And honestly, I, I think that's too bad because it's not an insult. I mean, personally, I'd take it as a compliment. If someone, especially someone that knows what they're talking about, like an editor or an agent said, hey, Lex, I I think your book has a lot of potential uh, for commercial fiction, I'd I'd be very complimented and and very happy about that. So what does the word commercial really mean? Well, in this context, it means that your novel has the potential to sell to a wide audience. It means this is a book a lot of people can enjoy 
maybe even most readers, maybe even all readers or, or nearly all readers, you know, as close as you can get. There's always going to be outliers, right? They don't like it for some weird reason. And it's not just about making money either, although that's definitely part of it. You know, if you want a career as a novelist like I do, and yet you want to write books that only the quote elite will enjoy, whatever particular elite you're talking about, then, you know, you might want to have a think about what you're doing and and whether or not um, you're really helping yourself there. You know, you have to sell a lot of books in order to be able to make a living at it, like a lot of books. I'm not saying that a book has to appeal to a majority of readers to be successful or to be a good book, but it surely doesn't hurt. A lot of times the, the term commercial fiction is used as an alternative or, or an opposite to literary fiction. And that's probably where a lot of the idea of it being an insult or, or it being a lower form of fiction comes from. Now, I'm not going to talk about literary fiction much today. I, I honestly, I don't read much of it and I really don't have any desire to write it. So I don't know much about it. To be completely honest, I, I haven't learned about it because I have no need or, or desire to. So I'm not the one to tell you all about literary fiction. So <laughs> I'm not going to talk much about that today. But I do know a bit about commercial fiction because that's what I read and that's what I want to write. You know, if you think about it, if you read commercial fiction, you're already an elite in a way because you're someone who reads books for fun. Most people don't do that. So if feeling elite is important to you, there you go. You're, you're already elite. So yeah, don't, don't let someone make you feel bad about yourself because you read or you write commercial fiction. Um, because yeah, if you, read, if you read it all, you're already a step ahead of a lot of people. And, and if you write, then even more so. So you don't, you don't need to read literary fiction to be you know, in, in the elite, if, uh, if that's something you're worried about. So the, the idea that a book that sells well can't be that good, or that a book that's good can't sell well, is patently ridiculous when you think about it for any length of time at all. And let's be honest here, it's also an idea that's rooted in prejudice, which is the idea that the average reader is a moron and can only understand and will only enjoy books that are dumbed down or lowbrow or, you know, use whatever adjective you prefer here. I mean, that's what this, this belief is coming from, right? That's the prejudice that's the root of this. Is that, oh, well, if you write a book that average people like, then it can't be that good because average people are stupid and any book that they like can't be that good. Now, Personally, I think that's pretty obviously not the case to the point that I don't think there's really any need to spend any time talking about it today. But it's pretty obvious that that's what some people believe deep down when you hear them talk about this kind of stuff. And it's not a good look. But then elitism never is. If you're not sure what I'm talking about or you haven't actually seen this before, and you would like to see it or see some examples of, of the kind of thing I'm talking about here, just go pretty much anywhere 
uh, where people are talking about, I don't know, Stephen King or Brandon Sanderson or really any other successful, popular author. And if you go check that out, you know, go check out the conversations and what people are saying, there will be people who make the argument that because they're so popular, their work is, you know, lowbrow, simplistic, tropey, um, predictable, whatever. I mean, people will say all kinds of stuff, but it basically boils down to it's not any good or it's not, you know, it, it's like the box wine of novels, you know, it's not the top shelf uh, just because it's so popular. How could it be good if it's so popular? Because again, most people are idiots. So if most people like it, then how could it be that good or that profound? Again, it's all rooted in prejudice. Now, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble here, but writers make money by selling books. That's what we do. So generally speaking, the more books you sell, the more money you'll make. I mean, that's just simple mathematics, right? So if you're worried about your bottom line as an author, then a book with as wide of appeal as possible is the way you'd want to go, right? You know, more people interested equals more people reading equals more people buying the book equals more money in your pocket. And that's all important. I mean, it's really important. You know, writing is hard. It takes a lot of time and energy to write a novel and, and even more so to write novel after novel after novel. And it's really, really hard to do that if you're also having to do some other full-time job and, and you're writing your novels in, in your free time, on your evenings and your weekends or whatever. That makes it even harder to do. So I think it's perfectly valid and reasonable for any serious writer to want to do it full-time. Like pretty much any writer you talk to, that's their goal if they're not already doing it. And the reason for that is simply so that they can focus all their time and energy on writing their novels. And, you know, it, it's really difficult. You know, you go work a, a nine to five somewhere, you come home, you're exhausted. You know, you got your household chores to do and all that stuff. And then after all that, you're going to sit down and try to be productive creatively and, and write a novel. Um, it, it's really hard to do that. And, you know, even if you can do it, it's going to take a long time, right? I mean, how many hours are you getting a day um, in that kind of situation where you, where you can really write that's productive? Maybe one, two, three, maybe even four hours, maybe. Um, probably not. You know, but compare that to, well, you can spend eight or 10 or 12 hours every single day working on that book. And, and you can see how you would be able to get a lot more done in, in the same amount of time if you can do it full time. So, you know, writers wanting to do that, it's not that they're greedy or they're lazy or, or something like that. They just want to be good writers. And, you know, for the most part, you know, someone who's really good at something, like they do that thing all the time. And that's pretty much the main thing that they do. I mean, that's true for about anything. I mean, you don't expect someone to be like a pro basketball player and they just shoot hoops for an hour or two on the weekends, right? No, they're playing basketball all the time. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to shoot for writing full time and um, 
that's how you make your money and you don't have to worry about, you know, a full-time job or even a part-time job on top of that. And you're going to actually make enough money to pay all your bills and keep food on your family's table. Then, you know, you have to think about stuff and worry about stuff like, you know, actually selling books or actually writing books that people will want to read and, and thereby buy. I mean, Hell, you might even want to be able to take a vacation every once in a while, every few years, be able to take some time off and go somewhere, you know, like most people do. You might want to do that too. So, you know, money is important. But to me, honestly, that's not even the most important thing. You know, this discussion about commercial fiction and, and it not being bad or a bad word, yeah, money's, money's a part of it. And sure, it's even a big part of it. But at least to me personally, it's not the biggest part. It's not the most important thing. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what I really think is most important here. All right, so let me ask you a question. What is our job as a fiction writer? What's our purpose? What are we really trying to do? So you might say, well, Lex, our job is to entertain. And you're not wrong. That's true. Our job is to entertain. A good novel entertains. If it doesn't, it probably won't be very successful as a novel or, or even get published in the first place if it's not entertaining. So yeah, we definitely entertain. That's definitely part of our job. You might say, well, beyond entertaining, part of our job is to teach or to maybe show a different perspective the reader hasn't considered before or to introduce them to a part of the world that they've never seen or thought about before or a type of character they've never encountered before, something like that. Broaden their horizons in some way. And yeah, it can totally be that. And that can be really powerful when done skillfully and subtly. But even that, I wouldn't say is our primary job. I don't think our primary job is to entertain, and I don't think our primary job is to teach. I think as a writer, our primary job, our most important job, is to communicate. I'll say it again. Communication is our number one job. Think about it. That's what we do as writers. That's what we're doing is we are communicating. How is your story going to entertain anyone if you can't communicate it to them, if you can't communicate it properly, if you can't communicate it well, it's not going to entertain, right? Obviously. This is one reason I think the editors are so essential. And, you know, any good book out there worth reading has at least one editor behind it because a good editor is going to help you get rid of all the errors and the mistakes that get in the way of that communication. They're going to help you improve your prose, your sentences, your paragraphs, and all that. So the communication is as clear and as impactful as possible. So when we're writing a book, we're telling a story, of course, yes, but we're also sending a message. And that message has to be understood for the story to be enjoyed and for the book to be entertaining and therefore successful. So if I, as the writer, am using big fancy words that the reader doesn't understand, how is that helping me to communicate? It isn't. That'd be like, you know, me speaking Spanish to you if you don't speak Spanish. I mean, obviously, 
If I want to successfully communicate what I'm trying to say to you, the first thing is to use words and language that you understand, right? So if I have to say something really important to you, and I know you don't speak Spanish, I'm not going to say it to you in Spanish if I want you to understand what I'm saying, right? So if I'm using big words that the reader doesn't know, that they don't understand, that's not helping me. The, the reader is either going to have to stop reading the book to look up the word and what it means, which will break any immersion that they have in the story. Um, it's gonna, they're going to lose any momentum or any suspense that was building up because now they're not thinking about the story. Now they're on you know, Google or, or dictionary.com or whatever, looking up what this word means. Or what's more likely to happen is they're not going to stop and look the word up. They're just going to keep going, but they don't really understand what you just said because at least one word in that sentence, they didn't know what it meant. So they didn't really get the message that you're sending out, at least not completely. Now, if that sentence that that big word was in wasn't important, why'd you write it? It shouldn't be in the book if it's not an important sentence. So we'll assume that that sentence is important or at least that you think it is. So isn't it also important that the reader comprehends the sentence? Again, it'd be like me, you know, writing a sentence in my book in Greek when none of my readers speak or understand Greek. I mean, that sentence might not, might as well not even be there, right? And unless they're going to go look this thing up to know what it says, they're just going to skip it because it's gibberish to them. So why even put that sentence in there? So the same thing with using words that your reader doesn't understand. But it's not just vocabulary. It, it's everything. It's stylistic choices, how you, how you write the book, how you write your sentences. So if you use some strange point of view intense combination, like second person present tense to tell your story, something that your reader isn't used to seeing, um, how's that helping them understand the message you're trying to send them? Is it making it easier for them or is it making it more difficult for them? Truly, honestly, which is it doing? <laughs> if it's making it harder for them, then why are you doing it? Just to stroke your own ego and show off how smart, skilled, or talented you are? I mean, honestly, that's the only reason I can think of. Um, if, if my primary job is to communicate and I'm using some convoluted device to tell my story, whether it's the vocabulary I use or some weird point of view or some weird tense or some weird framing device or I'm writing all the sentences backwards, whatever I'm doing, if that is making it more difficult for my reader to understand what I'm trying to say, how on earth is that helping me in any way? How on earth is that helping the reader in any way? What possible purpose could that serve other than for me just to show off for the few people that do understand that thing I'm doing and be like, hey, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. Aren't I impressive? I mean, if that's what you want, there are way better ways to get that than trying to write novels. Let me tell you. I mean, if you were in this for ego boost, you are in the wrong line of work. And oh, by the way, I, I've been using kind of literary examples but that's not the only way you can screw this up. For instance, I write sci-fi, as, as you may know, and a really easy way to screw this up uh, when it comes to sci-fi is by throwing in a bunch of math. 
throwing in high science, you know, just any science that the average person doesn't understand. To this day, science fiction, and especially hard sci-fi, labors under the perception of many, many people that it will involve math equations and science. That you need a science degree to understand it, much rather enjoy it. I hear all the time so many people who say that they will not read a science fiction book because they don't want to see equations, they don't want to see science, they don't want to see things they don't understand, they don't want to be made to feel stupid or ignorant. Imagine that, someone in their free time doing something for pleasure doesn't want that thing to make them feel stupid or ignorant. What a shock. So how does doing any of that serve me as a sci-fi writer? How does putting calculus in my book serve me or the reader? How does putting high-level science in my book that no one's going to understand serve me or the reader? How does it serve the story? I mean, again, it seems like the only thing it serves is my own fragile little ego. As far as the story, as far as me, as far as the reader, it doesn't serve any of those things. So let me level with you here right now. I'm working on a book right now. I'm working on the third draft of my novel, Critical Balance. And let me tell you what, if I heard that a 15-year-old girl read my book and loved it, I would be over the moon. If I heard that an 80-year-old man who never went to college read my book and loved it, I'd be ecstatic. If I heard that a stay-at-home mom who never graduated from high school read my book and loved it, I would be so thankful. There is not a person out there who isn't, quote, good enough to read my book. Everybody's good enough. My book is not too good for any of you. (laughs) I promise. I want everyone to read it. I want everyone to love it. I want everyone to enjoy it and have a good time with it. Why? I mean, sure, part of it's because I want to sell books and I want to do this for a living. But the big reason is I have something to say. I have a story to tell. And I think it's important. I think it's worthwhile, not just for entertainment, by the way, but for other reasons too. I think if enough people heard what my book had to say and could see the world I have created from my eyes for just a moment, that maybe, just maybe, the world might be just a little bit of a better place. Because, you know, one thing that my story shows is very different people working together um, to solve problems. I think that's pretty inspirational, personally. So I don't want to lock this message up for just the intellectual elite, you know, unless you've got some letters after your name, unless you have a higher degree, you forget it. This is too much for you. I don't want to do that. It's not just for scientists or mathematicians or English majors. It's for everybody. Oh, and also, by the way, my job is to entertain. So I, I think it's a good story. I think it's fun. I think it's entertaining. I don't want anyone to wonder if they're, quote, good enough to be entertained by my book. So that's why I will very proudly and very loudly say that I write commercial fiction. It's more than just good business to me. Again, writing a book is a lot, a lot, a lot of work. If you've never done it, you have no idea. If you have done it, then you know what I'm talking about. 
It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. Um, I don't know about blood, but it definitely takes sweat and tears. And any good book involves a good amount of sacrifice to see it through. You are sacrificing time with your family, time with your friends, time you could be doing something you want to do um, to do this thing. So every additional person who reads it makes it that much more worth it to me. Every additional person who enjoys it makes that sacrifice even more worth it than it already was. And it validates everything I've done and everything I've gone through to make this thing a reality. So if you, like me, write commercial fiction, be proud of it. Don't let the elitist shame you. Be proud of the fact that you're not letting your ego get in the way of communicating your story to as many readers as you can. You know, it's funny. Well, no, it's not funny. It's interesting, I'll say. Um, when I've been in writing groups before, uh, I've run into these people that I will often call, quote, artist writers. And I am not a fan <laughs> of artist writers. These are the people who see what they're doing. And, and again, these are fiction writers. They're writing um, pretty much most of the groups I've been in, it's been genre. So they're writing fantasy or sci-fi or horror, something like that. So these people writing this kind of stuff um, think that what they're doing is high art and that if you don't like it or if you have something critical to say about it, if you think maybe there's some problems with it or some issues that could be addressed, then the problem isn't with the book. <laughs> the problem is with you. You obviously just don't get it. You're just not smart enough to comprehend their brilliance as a writer. And, you know, you may be listening to me right now and shaking your head and being like, oh, Lex, you're so crazy. You're exaggerating or you're making it up. That That's not real. There aren't people like that. No, there, there are people like that. And um, there seem to be a lot of them. Um, I, I've been in some writing groups that were dominated by people like that. And, and I feel like at least... I, th I feel like every single writing group I've been in, at least so far, has had at least one person like that in it. Most of them have had numerous people like that. So yeah, I've met people like this. They're, they're more common than you might think. And it's really hard, sometimes impossible to tell these people anything. They won't listen. They, they can't be taught. They can't learn. They, they think they already know it all. And they don't take criticism well or at all. Um, they get very ups upset and defensive if if you are at all critical, if you if you give anything other than just glowing, sycophantic praise for what they did, uh, they get very upset and very defensive. And they are not fun people to be in writing groups with. And, you know, it's funny, you read articles online about, you know, how to give and receive critiques or how to be in a writing group. And I feel like a lot of the do's and don'ts in those articles are due to people like this because it always makes me think of these people. Um, these are the people that make all those rules necessary. Personally, I think my art, as far as that goes, should be in service to the story and should be in service of communicating that story to the reader, not the other way around. So it's communication first, story first, character first, 
art last. And some people, they got that all mixed up. The art is the most important thing. And if nobody gets it or understand it, then that's their problem. So another way to say that is if my artistry in my language can make the story easier for the reader to understand, or if it can make it more evocative and more visceral, if it can better make the reader feel like they're there living it, then that's all good. That's all awesome. That's all stuff I want to do. And, and when we on this show talk about artistry and writing, when we talk about the craft, that's our goal. You know, our goal isn't to impress our English professor or it's not to impress someone who only reads, you know, the highest browed literary fiction they can find. You know, my goal is to make this story come alive for as many people as possible. That's why I strive to improve my craft isn't to show off or to inflate my sense of myself, but it's to tell a better story and to tell the story better, to communicate it better and more clearly. Because that's the thing, you know, when you think about a story, you know, what, what is going to make a story really impact you, right? What, what is going to make it um, mean something to you, right? Well, first of all, you have to comprehend it right? You have to be able to understand that story. So the first thing is it, it has to be written in a way that it's clear and you can understand it um, without a whole lot of effort on your part. Because, you know, most of us, if we have to work too hard to understand something, we'll just go read something else. I mean, life is too short. Um, you know, this is a professional uh, that you bought this book from, presumably. So you shouldn't have to work too hard to understand what they're trying to say. Um, so that's the first thing right? A good story has to be communicated well. But then after that, you know, you want, you want those things I just mentioned. You want it to be evocative and powerful and impactful. You want, when you're reading this story, to forget you're even reading a story and feel like you're there and, and these things are happening to you or, or happening to people you care about. That's what you want. So if you, if you read a story where it's easy to understand and, you know, you can just tear through it and you're with it the whole way and it invokes your emotions, it gets strong emotional responses from you, you really care about the characters, you care about what happens to them, um, you care about them succeeding in their goals, you're, you're upset when, when bad things happen to them. Um, and if it just sucks you in and pulls you in and, and you feel like you're there, you feel like you're living it, you know, that's a great story, right? You know, and sure, it helps that you like the plot or whatever, but honestly, that isn't as important. You know, think about it. And like me, I'll bet that you can think of, you know, books or movies or TV shows where if you told someone the plot of it, it wouldn't seem that great. But it was just so good because of the writing and the acting or the music or whatever, right? And then you could have another show or book where the plot might sound amazing when you tell it to someone, but the actual reading of the book was sheer drudgery because the writing was so bad or, or the acting, if you're talking TV, the acting was so bad or, or whatever, right? So, so we've probably all seen both sides of that where, where you could have a really awesome plot, 
but terrible writing and it's no good. Or you could have a kind of mediocre or a, a plot you've seen many, many times before. But if the writing's really good or if you're talking, you know, TV or movies, if the writing and the acting are really good, it can be great, right? So that, that just, to me, you know, it makes it pretty clear that, you know, writing is really important. And, you know, if you're talking um, drama, then, then acting is really important and, and directing, the actual, you know, what the plot is, is, is less so. So yeah, if, if any artistry I, I can achieve in my writing makes it more accessible to people, then that's awesome. That's good. But on the other hand, if my quote art is making the reader feel dumb or ignorant or like I'm lording my huge vocabulary over them or my understanding of math or of science or something like that, then I have failed in my primary job, which is to communicate. I have placed gratifying my own ego above communicating my message or my story to the reader. And that is the opposite of good. The ironic thing here, I think, is that often this attitude that you see in some writers, um, you know, these artist writers, as I call them, it's often self-defeating or maybe always self-defeating, these writers tend not to get published. Um, <laughs> partly, I think, because they're usually not nearly as brilliant as they think they are. And partly, I think, because they're very difficult and unpleasant to work with. And just like every other pretty much business on this planet, um, a big part of being a writer is working with other people working with your editors and your agent and your publisher and all the moving parts of the publisher. And uh, yeah, being someone that people like and, and someone who's easy to work with goes a long way uh, with all of that. The, the other irony, I think, with these artist writers is that a lot of times, I think this is actually rooted in low self-esteem, which is kind of a sad irony. So yeah, me, I write commercial fiction and I'm proud to do it and I'm proud to admit it. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed that it isn't, quote, literary or it isn't more literary. You know, I want my book in as many people's hands as possible. I want as diverse a readership as possible. I want different genders, different age groups, different religions, different nationalities, people who speak different languages, as, as many different people as possible to read my book. That's what I want. If I can make my books more accessible to more people, then I'm going to do it. Now, this isn't the only way. There's nothing inherently wrong with writing for the 1% or whatever. It's just not what I want to do. Partly, again, because I want to be a success commercially, but more importantly, because I want to tell my stories to as many people as possible. You know, one of my goals with this series is to make science fiction more commercial, more relatable, more appealing to more people. I want it to be more relater, more relater, more relatable to a wider ranging audience to more and more diverse people. You know, I, I already mentioned it before, but, you know, I don't, 
I don't think science fiction as a genre is nearly as popular as it should be or as it could be. I mean, think about it. It's a genre where, you know, it's set in, you know, anywhere from the near future to the distant future. Um, it gives us a glimpse, a glimpse into what our future may look like for the better or for the worse. It gives us a chance to dream about what that might be like. How is this not more popular? Why is this not more popular? And, you know, it's it's becoming more popular a bit now in, you know, movies and uh, TV, especially, you know, if you consider mon mundane sci-fi, especially if you consider, you know, things like Marvel and DC to be sci-fi, um, which personally I'd argue that they're fantasy, not sci-fi, but, but that's a discussion for another day. But if you consider that kind of stuff to be sci-fi, then it's it's much more popular in movies and TV than than in the past and and becoming more so. But even if you don't consider that kind of stuff sci-fi, just the you know the legitimate sci-fi about things going on in space is more popular now than it used to be. But when you talk about books, it's still um, not that popular. Definitely not compared to to fantasy, for instance. And, you know, in a way I find that surprising because, again, the, the subject matter seems like it should be more accessible. It seems like it should be more accessible than fantasy. You know, for, for instance, my story about, you know, 200 years in the future seems a lot more accessible to most people than some fantasy about some world that never existed and never will exist. And yet that that is not the case or doesn't seem to be. And, you know, again, I think a big part of that is the issue with hard sci-fi and that so many people are turned off of, by it because they think that there's going to be math, there's going to be science. And also, you know, at least in the past, you know, when you think of the, the sci-fi classics, you know, sometimes those books were written by people who were, let's just say people who were much better scientists than they were writers, and by people who, and it's not even necessarily that they weren't great writers, but their focus, what was important to them was much more the ideas um, that they were trying to get across, the ideas of, you know, what the future might be like or how robots might work or how an interstellar um, society might work, things like that. Um, their ideas of science um, those were more exciting and important to them than the characters or the story that they were telling. And, and really the characters in the story were just a means to an end, just the way to get those ideas across. And, you know, you still see these books widely recommended now. You know, people always, you know, recommend these classic sci-fi books, but a lot of them are like that. And, and, they're also old. So just the way people wrote back then was different. It's not accessible to people today. Um, you know, it's like stuff you had to read in your high school English class. You know, most people didn't enjoy most of that stuff. And a lot of that was just because it was written so long ago. People talked differently then and they wrote differently then. So yeah, you know, that's what people think of when they hear sci-fi. And it's unfortunate because you know, modern sci-fi for the most part isn't like that. I mean, unless you get into really hard sci-fi, I've read a lot of sci-fi in the past however many years, and I haven't read very many published in recent years that that are anything like that. 
But unfortunately, that's the perception because that's what sci-fi was like in the past. And people keep recommending those old uh, dusty books to people instead of maybe recommending something a little more current uh, that might be a little easier to read and have, you know, better characterization and a more interesting story and not just be about some scientific idea. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on a tangent right now, but, but that is actually something, uh, kind of a guiding light for me as a writer of science fiction, um, kind of a maxim that, that I try to live by, um, is I do not try, I try not to write quote idea stories, which I mean, from a certain point, I mean, all my stories have cool ideas. Uh, my, my book, Critical Balance, there are a lot of really cool ideas that, that were, the seed of that book, the, you know, the beginning of that book. But my focus when I wrote the book, that was more my focus in the world building and the research and things like that. But when I wrote the actual book, my focus was on the characters and the story because I want to write character focused books because again, I want to write books that people like to read and that's what people like to read. Um, the ideas are great and, and people will get the ideas. They're there, they'll, they'll digest them, you know, but that all works a lot better if, if it's within a good story with interesting characters that people care about. So that should be, I think in, in my mind and in the way I write, that should be the focus, the characters and, and the story, um, not the ideas. So that's me. That's that's what I want to do. I want to write commercial sci-fi. I hope to make sci-fi even more commercial and commercially viable, which is to say, um, I hope that that my books can reach uh, maybe a wider audience than a lot of sci-fi has in the past. That uh, I can get past that that barrier to entry that so many people have, um, and give them a book where they can just read it and enjoy it, no matter who they are. And that if I can do that and, and if it can get traction and, and get enough people reading it and talking about it, that, you know, maybe we can get sci-fi more where it should be as far as popularity and, and we can start to um, get rid of these old stigmas that are attached to it, usually in the minds of people that, that have read very little or, or no sci-fi. You know, once people start reading it, then they, you know, they know what it's about, but I'm talking about people who won't even give it a shot because they have these negative ideas about it. Um, and those ideas are very similar from person to person. I hear the same things again and again and again. So that's that's what I want to do. But it's not the only thing to do. It's not, you know, the only way. Um, so if that's not what you want to do, that's fine. You know, that's great, you know. Different strokes for different folks, as they say. You know, my, my purpose here is not to bash on literary fiction, not, not at all, to each their own, you know. But that said, I am tired of seeing commercial fiction being treated as if it's something less than literary fiction. And I don't think it is. Personally, I think truly it's something more. So there you go. There are my thoughts on commercial fiction and why commercial is not a bad word. And just because you sell a lot of books, it doesn't mean you sold out, whatever that means. I thought sold out means meant that you sold everything and there's no more for people to buy. It sounds like a good thing to me. I hope my book sells out. 
<laughs> I hope it sells out everywhere it's sold. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, those are my thoughts. Sorry if uh, I got on the soapbox a bit today. But, um, you know, I, I've been trying to to think of what to do with this show right now because I'm in this weird spot where I, I don't really have a lot to talk about as far as the, the books, or at least that I can talk about or want to talk about right now. Um, considering none of them are available for you to read yet. Uh, and I've already spent a lot of time talking about, you know, the world building and, and all that kind of stuff. I also don't want to get on here and try to teach you about writing because there are other people far more qualified than I am who are already doing that. And I also just don't want to get on here and ramble about what I'm doing every day because who cares? <laughs> so, you know, finding, um, finding topics can be a challenge for this show. So, so this was something that it's, um, it's more of a kind of philosophical kind of thing uh, so I don't feel so much that I'm I'm going into territory where where I don't know what I'm talking about or I don't have enough experience to really be talking about it. It's more of an opinion kind of thing, but it's something I've thought about a lot. It's something I've I've spent a lot of time pondering. You know what what do I want to do? You know as far as what what genre do I want to write in and and how do I want to write it. You know, because I mean, I could put math in my books. I could put science in my books. I could put all kinds of huge words in my books that people would have to look up. But but is that what I want to do, right? And, you know, I think the key to these kinds of questions is always coming back to what do I want to accomplish? What would make me feel like I succeeded? And for me... It's like I said earlier in the episode, it's, it's seeing that 15-year-old girl reading my book. It's seeing that 80-year-old man or woman reading my book or 15-year-old boy or, hell, an 8-year-old boy. Why not? I don't know. When do people learn how to read? I don't know. Um, yeah, you wouldn't have to be 15. I, I feel like I could have read my book in sixth grade, if not before. So I don't remember what age that was. But a sixth grader reading my book. You know, someone with, with no college education reading my book, someone who dropped out of high school reading my book, I would consider that a success. Someone who said something like, I have never read science fiction before, or I have never liked science fiction before, but I love this book. That would make me feel like a success. And of course, you know, people who love sci-fi reading it and, and loving it as well. But... um that's a pretty small percentage of the readers out there, people who read and enjoy sci-fi on a regular basis. And uh, yeah, I'd like to, to get in in front of some of those other people too. And maybe, you know, maybe they'll give it a shot and maybe they'll like it, but, but that's what I hope to do. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see my book turned into a TV show someday or a movie or something like that. I mean, obviously, as long as it was done well, but I would love to see that. I'd love to see it on a, you know, realized in a, in a visual medium like that. That would be so cool. And yeah, you know, there's way better chances of something like that happening if it's something that has wide appeal to a large number of diverse people, as opposed to something that, that, you know, only English majors want to read. So, you know, something like that probably won't, 
doesn't get made into a movie or a TV show very much. And even if it does, it probably flops. And then that's it. There's no more. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's where I'm coming from. And, you know, another reason I wanted to do this is just, again, to reiterate where I'm coming from. Because pretty much everything I say on this show is very much through the commercial fiction lens and, you know, there are probably a lot of things that I say on this show that someone listening who was a literary writer would would take great issue with and might even think the opposite of what I'm saying and might get very upset with me if they don't understand that I'm coming from the perspective of a commercial fiction writer, not a literary fiction writer. We're, um, those are two very different things with different um, goals and different parameters for what's a good job versus versus not so yeah you know and and if in the process of explaining this today i've i've swayed you a little bit to my way of thinking um at least to the point where you're not going to poo-poo commercial fiction anymore that would be a win in my book too um again i don't have anything wrong with or anything against literary fiction I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it. I mean, there are people that enjoy it and that's great. Um, my only problem is with people who get this elitist attitude and who think that, that literary fiction is inherently better than non-literary fiction. And it just isn't. It's just not the case. And, and again, that, that idea is rooted in prejudice and that prejudice has been around for a very, very long time. It's probably not going away anytime soon, but uh, that doesn't mean we have to give into it. So that's it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Maybe next week won't, or next time, I shouldn't say next week, uh, maybe next time won't be so much of a soapbox episode, but uh, if you have thoughts or feedback, I, I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, you can email me at lexoutloudpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker, or you could call my voicemail, 951-465-5391. The best way uh, to keep up with me and also uh, connect with some other writers and uh, science fiction fans is to join our community on Discord. You can find a link to that in the show notes at LexStarwalker.com slash LOL. And yeah, join us in Discord. Would really love to see you there. I'm always excited when we get some new faces in our Discord server. So that's it for me today. And uh, hope that you enjoy whatever you're working on creatively, whether it's writing or something else. And uh, I hope you're enjoying uh, some good books or some good TV shows or movies or stories of some kind and getting some some inspiration and and maybe even uh, an escape <laughs> from from the world you find yourself in uh if only for a little while so i'll be back soon with another episode and until then keep writing <laughs>